been one of those mornings where you're doing a lot of stuff and you forget to do one thing, which is put on your mic. Um, so if you will, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 while he reads my mic, so I don't have to hold this the entire time. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're looking at uh, the, the fact that God's, in a sense, God's home renovation project, right? So that, what is this, the church? What is he doing with the church? And, and, and just Ephesians chapter 2 is, in a sense, saying God is, God is creating this new home for himself, um, with people redeemed for his name, and uh, he's been uh, getting rid of the hostility between people. He's been bringing people together, making them part of the, his household, making him part of the, the, the body of Christ, as it were. And, uh, and so, just a second here. And so, they're just kind of giving you an idea of the things God is filling his church with, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, we get this idea of making peace and that he's put one kingdom together, right? We're all part of the same unit. He's put one family together. We're all part of the same household. There's one authority. We're under the, uh, the, uh, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's how we received God's word was was God gave us the New Testament through the, uh, the, the apostles and the prophets, so we have one authority that we go to, and there's one cornerstone, one master guide for how the church is supposed to operate, Jesus Christ. And here Paul is saying that God is making peace by putting these things into place, by making this just part of the church, part of how the church functions and who we are as a church. Uh, you, your family has a history to it, right? And in, in the, in, in, involved in every family are probably, um, there's a history to how it started, and there's histories to, to what they go through as families, right? So every family, in a sense, has a home renovation project that they tell stories about, or multiple stories about multiple projects, right? Like this week for us, it was, um, our stove went out, um, and it was uh, a replacement stove for the first, so we, we knew we were in, in the market for a new stove, and so, you know, as part of that goes, once you try to replace one thing, and then you got to think about everything else, and so eventually it's this big, huge project, you've got to replace all these appliances, and of course that falls to me. Um, I do okay, you know, plugging things in and unplugging things, that's, that's pretty good at that, you know. But when it comes to dishwashers that um, you both not only have to plug in or wire, but you also have to hook up water lines to, um, I, I don't know why they make it the way they do, but of course, they, they make it so that you have to attach the water line, then shove it into place, and then hope that it works, because if it leaks, then you've got to pull it back out again, right? And undo it, I'll figure out where the leak is, redo it, shove it back into place, and then again, hope that it works. Well, they've actually made new technology where they'll actually detect leaks for you on the new ones. So, of course, I didn't know that, you know. I didn't. So you're like trying to figure out, I was like, oh, there's a leak. But then you put it back in place. Nope, it's still leaking. You're like, but I don't see a leak now. And so you're like going through all this work to figure out, oh, I got to fix the leak detection, not fix the leak now. Go figure, right? And the whole point is, is that it's just frustrating. It's just, it's just plain frustrating, okay? I don't, I don't know where you get the idea that this, this whole thing of putting new appliance in your house is a joy, because it's not. It's just frustrating. 
There, there's, there's just pain involved, okay? But it's pain in, in, involved in a, a new purpose, in, in getting something better than it was. And, and that's really part of making a home. And this morning as we look, I want to notice two, two concepts here and how they go together. But they're, they're about the fact that we do have a pain, there's a pain part of the process, but it's for the goal of something better. And I want to look at both sides of those things in, in, in helping you see even more fully God's home renovation project and the home that he is trying to make. And it goes, we've already looked at the fact that he's made us a part of this home, that he's made us, uh, we're in God's kingdom, we're part of this one, one kingdom, citizens of that same kingdom as Jews and Gentiles. But then he says this phrase, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And that's definitely bringing in the idea of God's word as a guide to us that's given to us. That's part of this. But it's more to it than that. And I want to use an illustration from this week, right? This week, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse's trial was finished up and... uh, he was declared not guilty. Now, if you haven't been paying attention to the news too much, let me give you a little backstory. Right, um, Kyle Rittenhouse is being tried for killing two people in Kenosha and wounding a third during riots that were happening, the unrest that was happening, the protests that were happening in Kenosha, and his plea was self-defense. And it was clear after through the evidence given at the trial. Uh, that the, the jury decided he, he wasn't guilty of homicide. He, he, he had a legitimate plea of self-defense. In fact, in some ways, it was a classic case of self-defense. Our, our, our justice system is designed to protect the individual from the mob. And while it doesn't always work, at least it did this time in this sense. But at the same time, so you have this, okay, it's done, right? But it's not done, right? Because... It didn't, if, you, if, you, if it's designed to produce peace and justice at the end, it, it really didn't do that necessarily, really, because it didn't really solve the problem of no one sane wants 17-year-olds with guns roaming our streets deciding when to enforce justice and when not to. No one sane wants people who are, are, are see someone with a gun, try to chase them down and enforce the law themselves. No, no one's saying once th- th- that this idea of people on opposite sides randomly coming together and deciding for themselves how justice ought to be administered. And that wasn't really addressed. And it's sad, really, because we, we need that address, because we have two, in a sense, groups at odds with each other, hostile one to one another, and you're like, how do, how do we solve this? That's, that's, I'm glad you asked, because, because that's exactly where the church is at as well. If we're talking about the, the, the birth story of the church and the home renovation project of the church, there, in a sense, there's this story that's part of how the, the churches, the Jews and Gentiles hated each other, okay? They, they didn't like each other. They had, they had stories of how 
what the other person had done to them, so to speak, right? The Jews were like, the Romans came in, they killed us, they, they, they ruled over us, they're not letting us go, you know? Look at all these Gentiles, they always do bad things to us. And the, the, the Gentiles would have been, look at the Jews, they always, they deride us, they despise us, they, they call us uncircumcised. What does that even mean, you know? There's this hatred that's there that's not taken care of. How do you solve it? And it's not like, and God doesn't just go like, okay, it's taken care of, done. I tell you, he doesn't just say it's done. How does God solve this problem? Because the answer to that question, while it may not tell us how to solve our problem, gives us an understanding of how we need to operate in our world as the church and so let's look, just, just notice a little bit here about, just step back for a second. What did the apostles and prophets bring to the table in this process of filling the church up with peace? Did you ever think about that question? You say, well, they give us the word of God. And yes, actually, if we're going to go anywhere, we're going to go here and say, you know, the word of God is our sole and sufficient rule in faith and practice. So if we're going to make peace, it starts with understanding God's word and seeking to live it out. But the apostles and prophets, in a sense, went beyond that because they were living examples of the authority of Jesus in the world. And the major message that you get from the apostles is don't take justice into your own hands. God is the God of justice. Wait for his justice. Right? Paul himself in Romans says, in Romans chapter 12, don't take justice, don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Right? There's this overwhelming message by the apostles that we are not supposed to take justice into our own hands. We're supposed to wait for God's justice. But they not only preached that, they lived it, right? Because the overwhelming message you get beyond that is they kept saying, hey, church, in the world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have, you're going to have trials. You're going to have problems. But don't fear. Christ has overcome the world. And then they lived it out. They got arrested. They got martyred. But they trusted Jesus all the way through that, right? Every apostle except John martyred, and he was exiled because they couldn't kill him, according to tradition. There's this sense of that these men... They, they lived out their willingness to suffer, to wait for Christ's return. You see that in 1 Peter? Peter, the, the major message in 1 Peter is, you're going to suffer. <laughs> Prepare yourself to suffer well as a Christian. You say, well, how do we know he's thinking about that in this context? Well, Let's just drop two verses down to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Um, get the context? It's not out of Paul's mind. He's saying, look, 
I'm suffering on behalf of you Gentiles because I want you to understand the riches of the grace that we have in Christ. And then he, he, he talks about those riches and then notice how he ends his thought. Verse 13, so you, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the context. This, this is what he's talking about here when he says the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He's saying, hey, these were men who were willing to suffer on behalf of bringing peace to the church. To help them to understand how to suffer well in a world where we're not going to get justice. We're not going to get peace on earth. We're looking for the next world. <laughs> we're looking for Christ to make peace. To give justice. And if we think we're going to get justice now, we're setting ourselves up. But the apostles and prophets are giving us an example and living out that example before our eyes of men and women who, by faith, didn't demand justice now, didn't take justice into their own hands, but committed themselves to one who can give justice wholly, perfectly, and with full satisfaction. And that's why he can say in chapter 4, verse 1, when he's, saying, he's talking about how to live this out, right? He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I'm, I'm suffering on behalf of Christ, waiting for him to do what he's going to do. I, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's saying, hey, you're, you're, you're part of this church. You're, you're believers in Christ. You have this calling. And I'm suffering for it, and I'm urging you to do certain things, right? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We work at peace, even though we know we can't fully get it now. We, we, we seek peace as believers in Christ. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we might not know how to solve the problems in our world today. But we see how God seeks to solve his problems for eternity. He makes this body called the church, and he fills it with peace. One kingdom, one family, one God, over all and through all and in all. Making peace and even using the men and the women, but mostly the men of the apostleship, to demonstrate suffering on behalf of waiting on Christ. So, so you say, well, how, how, how do we do this ourselves? How do we wait for justice ourselves? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked again. So let's bring on the second point of this. And we see how Paul is weaving this piece together in, in the last part of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being to, built together into a dwelling place 
a, a home for God by the Spirit. Here's that idea. God is doing this home renovation project. And he says, like, you're being built into this holiness, this holiness thing. Now, in trying to understand this and think this through, again, we have to ask the question, what makes a home a home? Have you ever thought about that? What makes a home a home? What, what should we pers- be pursuing now if we're going to make a home a home? And, and you would say on the positive side, a home is a place of joy. It's a place of satisfaction. Um, Hebrews chapter 9 11 verses 9 and 10 talk about Abraham pursuing a home, right? He says, By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Here again we have Abraham's example of holiness, where he leaves one home to pursue a better home. (laughs) But it's... It's more than that. Or it's, it's, I'm going to flesh it out a little bit more, help you think about it. One thing I love about our church is just the diversity we have in that sense here, and people from different backgrounds. But it it creates certain conundrums. So, like, for instance, we were talking about, um, at the women's retreat a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about hospitality and, and making food for hospitality. And and two ladies brought, they were just talking about different foods and, and you know, and let's just talk about Thanksgiving, for instance, right? If you were going to make food for Thanksgiving, what would you do, you know? I'm, I grew up in Iowa, right? Uh, to me, Thanksgiving means at least pumpkin pie, right? I mean, can you, can you taste it right now? That kind of that soft, spicy, moist taste with cool whip over the top and it just explodes into your mouth right isn't it great to think about isn't it satisfying to want and and we we have this ideal in our heads of of making a pumpkin pie and that's thanksgiving and 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 i if 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 i'm gonna have thanksgiving i'm having pumpkin pie okay well for some people, it's not like that. I, I get that, you know. First, pumpkin, you're like, but, but for some people, they just don't know what to make because they don't, they're like, where is home for me? What, what should I really make that's home to me, right? For some people, it's like flan, you know. I don't even know. I think I've had flan like once, and it's not bad, but, but it's not that great either. And then you got like trace leches, cake, you know, like three milk cake. That, that sounds pretty good too. I think I would try that. But again, it doesn't feel like home. And, and the problem is, is when you have someone who's kind of from a different background, you're like, what, what's home? What feels like home? Uh, how do I know when I'm home? Because you're, you're, the, the memories are all mixed and nothing's perfect. You get what I'm saying? It's not repeated enough that it becomes kind of fixed in your head as, this is Thanksgiving, pumpkin pie, bam, it's gone. No, it's like this thing that's in your head. You're like, I, I don't know. If you've lived overseas, you understand what I'm talking about. And 
So I was trying to figure out, how, how, did this, how does this work exactly? And this week, my family and I went to uh, see the movie C.S. Lewis, The Most Reluctant Convert. Uh, maybe some of you have seen it already, I don't know. Um, it, I'd recommend it, except the first 25 minutes you can just forget about. If, if you show up 25 minutes late, it's just like, how did, the, how did they make the movie? I was like, I don't care how they made the movie, I just want to see the movie. Why do I have to see it for 25 minutes and watch how they made the movie? But so just word of advice, show up 25 minutes late, you'll be perfect. Uh, but anyway, so it tells the story of how C.S. Lewis was an atheist and how he, dis- he came to really believe in God and then ultimately to believe in Christ. And it's a great, great story. But in the midst of, of that story, he's talking, about, he's talking about joy. And he's like, you know what? Joy helped me realize that there's, there's, there's more to life, that I'm looking for something more, right? And, and frankly, when we anticipate Thanksgiving, in some ways we're saying, I want joy. I want joy to happen. I want to have this thing. And we look back and we think of all the past Thanksgivings we had, and we think of the joyful ones, typically, hopefully, and we, we think of the joys that we have. And in one thing C.S. Lewis is saying there is, in some ways, is joy is holiness. <laughs> He's like, you want to understand what holiness is, it's not a list of rules per se, as much as it is joy, satisfaction, that sense of, hey, I'm, I'm satisfied here, I am good here, I am I'm delighted here. He, he puts it this way. The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, it does not mean that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. What he's saying is is that holiness is about being satisfied, having this desire for something that's not of this world and knowing that it's found in God in the person of Jesus Christ, and ultimately in God's home for us. And the church is like having two desserts at Thanksgiving. You can, kids, at Thanksgiving time, when your mom says you can only have one dessert, you can turn around and say, Pastor Will said I could have two. (laughs) Okay? Because 
Thanksgiving is like, is like taking the favorite things of, of, of how, what God has done in your life and mixing it with the favorite things of what God has done in someone else's life that are totally different than yours. But you see God's grace there and you're delighted in God's grace. You're satisfied in what God is doing. This is holiness. Holiness is not saying, I'm going to be satisfied only with pumpkin pie. <laughs> only with this. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be satisfied when I get to enjoy pumpkin pie with my family. And get to enjoy all the goodness of, of what God has done. And frankly, this, this Thanksgiving, you won't be able to do that. Just, just a word of warning or reminder, right? No Thanksgiving in this world, in this life, will ever be perfect. Won't happen. Don't try. You'll just be frustrated. The desire for a perfect Thanksgiving means you're looking forward to a new world, a better world, a fuller world, where our satisfactions and joys are fully satisfied. And so we look at pumpkin pie or we look at trace leche's cake and we think, this is awesome, but this only is a taste of heaven. This time with family is, is great, but it's only a taste of heaven. Holiness, that's what holiness says. It's saying, look at the joy and I want more of what God gives in joy, of the joys that God can give. I don't want a substitute I don't want different kinds of joys. I want the joys God gives because those satisfy. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind. It is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feelings for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner, no mere tolerance or indulgence, which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way, for in Christ, for in him Christ is hidden, the holiest of holies. Holiness is pursuing joy. <laughs> And ultimate joy is found in pursuing love for your neighbor at cost to yourself. Therefore, what makes a home a home? A home is where you are willing to suffer on behalf of others in order to be satisfied together. A home is where you are willing to suffer on behalf of others in order to be satisfied together what God did for us. He suffered on behalf of us in order to bring us to himself. 
And this is why the church is a home for God. Because we aren't satisfied with anything other than God himself. This is what holiness means and consists of. To be satisfied not with the substitutes for God, but only with God himself. This is why we wait for justice, because only justice given by God will satisfy. This is why he has removed our satisfaction in our own self-righteousness and given us satisfaction in Christ's righteousness. He has removed our satisfaction in what we can gain in this world and replaced it with the desire for satisfaction only in his world. He has removed our hostility for others and given us joy in dwelling with others as members of his household, satisfied in his amazing grace. So the question is, are you holy? (laughs) Do you delight in being satisfied in God? When you are that, you are being built into a home (laughs) for God himself. God delights to dwell with you. And we aren't that perfectly yet, but that is what he is making us into. And so, we have the privilege of not living for this world, not being satisfied with this world, not taking our thanksgivings and being like, holding them to ourselves, but thinking, this is just a picture in its imperfection of sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb and enjoying God's delights forever. And we look around at each other, and we don't think, I deserve to be here, these people deserve to be here. We're all amazed at God's grace, because we don't deserve to be here. We haven't earned this, we haven't bought this, we haven't done anything. He has made us alive, taking us from dead to life by His grace alone. And we are satisfied in that grace. Not in our performance. So again, are you holy? Where's your heart really at? It's convicting for me this week. I get satisfied so much in just the joys of this life. What I can get. What I can own. And then you get them. And you have to install them, and then they're just frustrations, right? And you're reminded once again that in this life is not true satisfaction. We are a people prepared for the next world. The satisfaction, the justice, the joy that only God can give. Oh. And to be a part of that people. Because we haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. But we have received grace upon grace upon grace. And we're going to receive it for eternity. Are you pursuing joy in that? Heavenly Father. We live in a world that's confused and dying and broken, that substitutes your joys for joys it can manufacture. 
that substitutes your peace for small victories and empty, often empty ones. Lord, help us to be a people that delight in the suffering you did on our behalf to welcome us into your home. Help us to be a people that delight in being satisfied in you. And therefore, help us to be a people that delight in when needed suffering to love others. Suffering to serve others. To point to the satisfaction that is only found in you alone. Lord, satisfy us early in the morning. Before the day has dawned. Before the day ends. Help us to see your grace. Help us to delight in your love. Help us to live in your love. In your son's name, amen.